0: ICE Theatres, the market's most immersive and high-end premium format. Because the light shall be treated like sound coming from everywhere. Discover the ICE Theatres experience and embark on an immersive odyssey beyond reality.
1: One of the major challenges we face today is the youth who are not coming back to theater and they spend ages on TikTok, Instagram, and so on. So for them, the theatrical release is not that much of an event as it was for me, for instance, because when I was a few years ago younger, I had no mobile, no Instagram, no, no TikTok. So for me, a release in theater was an event. And now we have to put back theatrical release and make them an event again.
2: This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the Editorial Director of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition since 1920. This week, joined by our co-host, Rebecca Pauly, Deputy Editor at Box Office Pro, and Sean Robbins, Chief Analyst at Box Office Pro. In this week's feature segment, we are going to be going over highlights from our Giants of Premium Formats webinar that we held earlier this month. We've got insights from representatives from companies like Omdia, National Amusements, Ice Theaters, and Marcus Theaters coming up your way in the second half of this episode. But in the first half, we've got news to go over. And Sean, Rebecca, what news is it? I mean, it's the opening weekend of Avatar The Way of Water something.
3: Finally. Finally. Finally it came. We've
2: been waiting for this moment for 13 years. Sean, is it fair to say we've been a little anxious because we really didn't know how this could turn out for weeks? You've been saying this can really overperform or underperform. Your range has been very wide looking at this opening weekend. $134 domestic. How does this line up with pre-release expectations?
4: Yeah, you know this is exactly why I think we kept emphasizing and really just hammering home the fact that we can't look at opening weekend alone because there was this possibility that it would open on the low end of expectations, and that's exactly what happened. And there are so many reasons playing into that. I, I, this is not a case of being able to look at a movie and say, "Oh, well, it's it's had bad reviews and bad reception, and that's hurting opening weekend." That's not the case. Critics liked it. Early reception is positive from audiences. This comes down to the premium factor, the holiday factor, you name it. There are 20 different scenarios we can look at as to why this came in, where it came in at. But it's all about the long game. And, you know, this numbers context won't really be known for a few weeks.
3: Daniel, I know you uh, caught it over the weekend. I didn't seriously look at going to see it on opening weekend just because we'd already planned for it to be the family Christmas movie. So we already have plans to see it next weekend. I'm going to imagine that's the case for a whole lot of people.
2: That's a great observation rebecca i think that's the case for a lot of folks we have to understand that there's not too many buzzy new releases coming up between now and what's fair to say sean really valentine's day with ant-man quantum mania
4: yeah very few i think megan is the big one i look at in january i have I'm pretty optimistic about that one. It's kind of caught on in the way that Smile did, going viral on TikTok in particular with that dance scene from the trailer. Mm-hmm. But that's a counter programmer by the numbers. It's it's not really going to hurt Avatar.
3: I was looking around at showtimes for last night, and it was just you know. The only stuff that was available was 2D screenings. It's like, I know I'm not going to do that. I mean, if I'm going to see Avatar, I'm going to see Avatar, which also is something, uh, a sentiment that was shared by a lot of moviegoers this past weekend, because as predicted, premium formats did play a very large role, both domestically and internationally.
2: That's right, Rebecca. 62% of the domestic box office coming from premium format screens, 3D contributing 57% of that domestic box office. The breakdown here that Disney gave us, traditional 3D with 31%, IMAX 3D with 12%, premium large format 3D with 12%, I'm assuming Dolby Cinema is a good chunk of that, motion 3D with 2%, that is immersive seating with 3D capabilities on the screen, premium large format 2D auditoriums with 4%, and the ScreenX panoramic screen format with 1%. Of the box office here domestically. Sean, looking at that breakdown, we know that James Cameron films traditionally are not front loaded. We saw that in the first Avatar movie, a $77 million opening weekend. Not a huge overperformer, but it still became the highest-grossing film of all time with 750 million. Titanic performed a similar way. With keeping these premium format screens up until Mid February, what do you expect the premium format conversation to be like for this title in the coming months? And what impact can it have long term with its box office?
4: Well, I think that's going to play a big role in its staying power because that's often been typical of any film that's been able to capture a PLF run for longer than a few weeks. It's always helped stabilize those holds because there is limited demand, limited availability. If someone's really determined to go see a movie the best way they possibly can see it, they're going to hold out. And that's I think especially true with this movie. It's been marketed as see it in 3D, see it in the best theater you can see it in IMAX or Dolby or anything else. And even consider the pre-sales, we're kind of hearing reports that it's already selling more in advance past opening weekend than Spider-Man did last year. Maybe not in terms of dollar revenue, but in terms of its share of ticket sales, it's proving already to be backloaded relative to its own opening. And that's a good sign. But it really does underline the fact that this is a supply and demand topic now, Because as much as we've seen that expansion of premium formats, it's still not to the point where it can meet demand for a movie like this, at least immediately. Over time, sure, yes, definitely it can.
2: We also have to look at the audience demographics, because as you guys mentioned, this movie has really been appealing to moviegoers. An A Cinema score, 94% verified moviegoer score on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 5 out of 5 star rating from Comscore's post-track exit polling.
3: The group that showed up opening weekend the most, 30% of the opening weekend attendees were in the 25 to 34 range. Maybe people who were in high school or were teens when the original came out and were really, I imagine there is that nostalgia factor coming into play because the second largest group, 27% is 18 to 24. And then 45 plus is 14% of opening weekend. So I don't know if we're seeing quite the four quadrant appeal that Avatar really does need to hit in order to I mean, it needs to make all the money it can make is the
2: fact that people under 18 don't seem to have been a big percentage of this title opening weekend, something Disney should be worried about.
4: I think it's something that they're going to need to weigh more heavily because the easiest thing to do here is compare this to what other recent films have done. And that age breakdown is similar to the likes of Dr. Strange earlier this year. In fact, it's a little bit higher in terms of that age 25 plus demo. Dr. Strange pulled 57% from that group on opening weekend. Avatar is at 60% from 25 and up. So it's skewing roughly equally, if not slightly older than a Marvel movie. Now that's That's typical for James Cameron films. He's always had a very strong adult appeal and it tends to branch out into families from there. And that's the wild card factor now. And maybe something that I still think Disney has baked into their long-term plans. They know James Cameron is an adult friendly filmmaker who tends to build out those long runs. And that's the question we're waiting to see answer. Will those younger audiences show up over time? Not unlike what happened with Top Gun Maverick after word of mouth spread with that, its audience got a little bit younger in those weeks after. And that's why it you know, held on for a million weeks.
3: Yeah. Once the word got out that it wasn't just a dad movie. It right. Was a good
1: dad
2: movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking at comparables, at least here on the domestic market, one other high-profile studio movie opened to $134 million earlier this year. That was The Batman from Warner Brothers. That ended up grossing $369 million domestically. Now, overseas, it ended up finishing up at $401 million. For a 770 million worldwide run. That won't be the case on the overseas level here with Avatar, a film that's tracking a lot better. Avatar opening to 300 million last weekend. Domestically, Sean, is it fair to look at that opening weekend from The Batman that hits at the same level that Avatar The Way of Water does and look at that domestic total, 369, and think this might be the floor for a title like Avatar The Way of Water domestically?
4: Yeah, I would think it's the floor. The floor may even be higher than that, just because of the legs that's expected out of this. The Batman, you know, similarly, a three hour movie, essentially, arguably kept a lot of people not necessarily away, but it it affects scheduling. Plus, Avatar is not as dark. I don't think the Batman was as audience friendly to younger audiences, especially families. Avatar, that's not the case. There really is an appeal here that can capture a lot more people over time. So Even though these opening numbers are similar, I think its trajectory is going to be fairly significantly different from the Batman.
2: Well, we're seeing that on an international basis already with the title opening to $300 million from 52 material markets led by China with a, let's face it, call it what it is, a disappointing $57.1 million opening weekend. In the Chinese market, a lot of that most likely being where the country is right now. With the COVID-19 crisis, we're seeing another spike in levels there. South Korea in second place with 24.7 million. In third place, Germany with 19.9 million, followed by France with 19.3 million. And rounding out the top markets are India with 18.1 million and the United Kingdom with 14 million. Point two million. Rebecca, we were discussing the premium format numbers for this title domestically. What did PLF contribute from a worldwide level?
3: When you're looking at Real D, the stats we got from them, and these are stats that encompass all of 3D, not just Real D systems. Sixty-six percent of international audiences saw Avatar in 3D compared to 58% of moviegoers domestically. And then looking specifically at IMAX, Avatar The Way of Water gave that premium format. It's number two global opening of all time. Yeah, with the uh, 48.8 million worldwide, it was the second highest global debut in IMAX. 27% of the box office in China is attributed to IMAX, 12.3% domestically. Of course, that's not counting you know, all other premium formats, maybe proprietary formats that individual chains have. We did get a press release from A&C noting, you know, the success that, Avatar The Way of Water brought to them. Notably that it was a better weekend for them than the equivalent weekend pre-2019, which saw the release of the Jumanji sequel. But AMC did specifically call out that premium formats across the board, whether that's 3D or Dolby or IMAX, were a really big factor in the opening weekend success of the film for them. Actually, AMC notes that adding all the premium formats together, those tickets accounted for 70% of all box office gross for that particular movie on that particular weekend. So some pretty good numbers there. Definitely the people who are chomping at the bit to see it were not going to see it in the <laughs> everyday 2D.
4: And that really underlines this whole point we've all been talking about. This movie's not underperforming everywhere. It delivered on expectations in IMAX and PLF. It's those traditional shows, like whether it's traditional 2D or traditional 3D, those sales just haven't been as strong yet and really that kind of opens up an even broader discussion on where the industry is
2: going with plf in the future and those are going to be topics that are brought up in the feature segment here of this podcast this week but before we get to that point of the podcast guys we do have to talk about other movies because we've got the christmas corridor coming up a big weekend usually in movie going in north america but it's always a little bit tricky when you've got Christmas Day as one of those weekend days. Yeah. What
3: are people gonna be buying tickets for when their are <laughs> get sold out?
2: Well, when Avatar
4: is sold out, I'm going to go with Puss in Boots. That, to me, is the standout of the three. I think we all kind of discussed this a little bit last week. won't hit on it too much, but it's that same narrative. There haven't been many family movies. There haven't been many animated movies, et cetera, et cetera. This one, I think, is actually going to be a little bit more of a standout. Early sales did well over Thanksgiving when they had early access screenings. And I think this marketing campaign is really working for them. We'll see where it goes in the long run. But it's been 11 years since the last movie. But I, I really do think it's it's the number two choice, maybe even for some families, the number one choice if they just, frankly, don't want to sit down for three and a half hours with little kids who are not going to stay still for three and a half hours.
2: Now, we do have to mention this title because we spoke in a similar way about another title for families last year on this time, Sing 2, that didn't end up performing along to expectations. What can we compare between these two movies? Because we're coming out of an animated feature like Disney's Strange World, that just did not connect with audiences. How much concern is there for this title, Sean?
4: I think Strange World had so many issues working against it. And of course you bring up Sing 2, which is a great point. The main difference this year, last year, of course, we had Omicron really peaking around this time and and Spider-Man just sucking all the air out of the market. If anybody was going to a theater, it was for that. There's still some things in flux here, and that is honestly one reason I want to stay a little conservative on Puss in Boots because we haven't seen that consistent comeback for animated movies. Outside of Minions and Sonic, if you want to count that, even though it's a live action hybrid. But, you know, maybe this is kind of something that can kind of help that progress more. It'll really be 2023, I think, before we're starting to see more of that consistency for big animated movies. This will be another stepping stone along the way.
3: Now, Daniel, I think we're probably both on the same page with regards to Babylon.
2: Babylon was always going to be a tough sell. This is the new Damien Chazelle film from Paramount. Now, we know that Damien Chazelle just signed a production deal with the studio, but we really have no idea how audiences are going to embrace this film. Whoever buys a ticket for this is in for a surprise. I'm not sure if it's going to be a pleasant surprise. Sean, movies about Hollywood always struggle at the box office. What are we thinking about a movie like Babylon opening up this weekend?
4: We're thinking very conservatively, I especially after we just saw a three-hour movie like Avatar with big mainstream appeal, prove that people are really planning out their viewing times. Babylon is comparatively niche. It's only going to draw in you know the adults who aren't interested in a movie like Avatar, but it's also the kind of movie a lot of people, we have to say it, have really become used to watching on streaming at home. And a three hour runtime is asking a lot, especially once we consider the reviews that will be coming out for this. It's not something that's garnering that kind of strong award season buzz that we really honestly expected from a Chazelle movie when this was announced. And, you know, the positives here Star Power, you mentioned it, Brad Pitt, Margot, those will be the elements that I think will bring out some people. But with Christmas Eve landing on Saturday, I would honestly be. A little surprised if it could hit 10 million for the opening.
3: The other major film coming out over Christmas weekend, Sean, we have the Whitney Houston biopic, I Wanna Dance with Somebody. What do you think of Sony's decision to open it on Christmas against Avatar's second week? What do you think of this one, Sean? Is there a counter-programming potential?
4: Yeah, this is I think one that's been interesting, especially as the marketing has shifted to looking at a new title unofficially. It's the Whitney Houston movie I Wanna Dance with Somebody. And usually when that happens, it kind of signals a little bit of a lack of confidence on the studio's end. But sometimes that's, that's not always it. I think the fact that it is Whitney, there's a generation of fans out there who want to go see this movie. We've seen biopics on musicians do really well in recent years for the most part. This, To me, it's it's got sleeper potential written all over it. And if this is 2019, then I'm thinking this is a clear candidate to make over $100 million. Maybe it still is. I'm just a little bit more cautious, I think, right now because of what we've seen from that adult-driven market outside of the rare titles like Elvis and whatnot. It's a tough one to call, though, especially as the market's still recovering and we're looking at Avatar really dwarfing the market. It makes me wonder, are adults just really going to, you know, kind of focus on other things? We'll see, but I like the fact that it's trying to go for that Christmas corridor. I think it's smart for this kind of movie.
2: Well, let's talk about that avatar hold because I think that's on front of everybody's minds. We, of course, open the conversation here with the opening weekend analysis. What lessons can we glean from that global opening weekend as we head into a crucial week two for this movie? I think James Cameron said it himself in an interview pre-release. It's going to be week two and week three that dictate if this movie is a hit or not. Sean, what's your range for the Christmas holiday weekend for a movie like Avatar The Way of Water?
4: Well, this one's (laughs) going to be another volatile one (laughs) because what we really want to see during these weekdays after we're recording this are stronger than typical holds. That's possible because of the premium demand we've seen or been talking about. Now, if we really just want to be extra careful, I look the most at something like Rogue One, which had the exact same calendar alignment six years ago. It dropped 59% in its second weekend. That would put Avatar somewhere in the middle 50 million to 60 million second weekend range. And that's with Christmas Eve deflating things on Saturday, there will be a huge rebound on Sunday with Christmas. But it's really, this is that time of year, in particular, the kind of calendar year where looking at those daily patterns are far more important than the weekends, because Christmas weekend is just going to have a giant asterisk next to it. But New Year's, you know, that should begin to recover more. And that's where I think James Cameron is correct in waiting to see where things are at after that point. But you know, we'll see what happens. This, the hope here is that this kind of forges its own path and is not as front-loaded as Rogue One.
3: And hey, the, the World Cup is over, so people can get back out
5: to the. Movies. And that
4: will definitely help globally. Yeah, <laughs> internationally, yeah, it's almost the opposite. Like, even though Christmas will have an effect. The lack of the world cups impact on sunday will definitely help some of
2: those market holds. sean rebecca thank you so much for joining us once again here on the box office podcast coming up after the break we've got highlights from our giants of premium formats webinar sponsored by ice theaters that's coming up shortly and we are back here for the feature segment of this week's edition of the box office podcast Bringing you highlights from the Giants of Premium Formats webinar presented by our partners at Ice Theaters, the sponsors of this week's podcast episode. In the panel today, we've got insights from Mark Melanowski the VP of Global Marketing, over at National Amusements, which runs Showcase Cinemas, operating movie theaters in some of the biggest markets around the world. We've got Clint Wisielowski, the SVP of Business Development, over at Marcus Theaters, one of the largest exhibition chains in the United States. We also have insights from Guillaume-Thomine Demasur, the SVP of Global Sales For Ice Theaters, one of the most emerging and exciting new premium large format concepts that are reaching theaters around the world. And to kick off the session, we have highlights from a presentation that was given by Charlotte Jones, the Associate Director of Cinema and Movies for the data research firm Omdia. Charlotte is going to kick off this conversation going over some explainers on what Premium Large Format is today and how to have a better understanding of the concept as we enter 2023. So Charlotte, please take it away.
5: Yes. Hello, Daniel. Hello, everyone. Well, first of all, I'm Charlotte Jones. Senior Principal Analyst at Omdia. And thank you very much for inviting us to share our latest insights. It's obviously a great pleasure uh, to be here. In terms of some of the data that we're seeing, what we're seeing is so certainly from the 2021 perspective, which is our latest numbers, we certainly saw like a a 10% uplift in terms of number of screens, which I think is especially sort of impressive when you consider where we're coming sort of out of the trajectory of the recovery of the pandemic, we're looking at exhibitors with, you know, their their finances being squeezed, and we're looking at other supply measures. So I think that this is impressive. What I'd like to start with and open with is the definition of premium cinema, how we think this is changing over time. And this is to do with shifting trends in audiences' preferences and behaviour coming out of the pandemic and also related to the type of films that are best suited to these screens. So I think the way we sort of see this market is it's divided into sort of four main quadrants. I think on the top side of this, the two quadrants, we have sort of the technology side. This would be our PLF screens, what we would call our premium package screens, where you would have a range of technology options, you would have immersive sound, you would have perhaps laser projection, and often lots of sort of other superior attributes, HDR, HFR, 3D as well in the mix, not not to mention a few others in terms of some of the screens and the different types of sort of um, options. And on the other side, we have the haptics. So this is what we're calling this side of the market. Now we've got 4D, we've got immersive motion, motion seating and we've got enhanced immersive audio and I think on the bottom side of those two bottom quadrants is where the market is perhaps slightly less defined or less able to sort of keep a track of that I think if we sort of take the right side of that we've got the service-led propositions in terms of premium cinema we've got lots of dine-ins and this is where we sort of have a few more details and numbers on it so in terms of research from my colleague David Hancock I think some of the latest numbers shows we had around 3,100 screens in North America that we would classify as dine-in, which would equate to around 7.7% of the market, whereas in the UK, it would be a lower number, but sort of rounding about sort of around 3%. So in terms of the sort of moving into the premium aspect, in terms of the luxury boutique area, so in the UK, we have upmarket boutique chains such as Everyman and the light cinemas, and they are obviously faring very well in terms of the pandemic. And so this is another sort of potential area for growth in terms of other world regions. But again, when we look at these four quadrants, we can see these sort of stretching out. And it's perhaps, those, it's perhaps the area that's left in the middle in terms of some of those sort of more general uh, 2D formulaic multiplex screens that perhaps might be more struggling in terms of recovery from the pandemic. So in terms of looking at that market in a whole in t- 2021, In terms of those premium package screens, uh, which includes global PLF, uh, which accounts around 40% of the screens, 4D IMS, another 30%. And again, Exhibitor branded on top, another 30%. That represents around 7,000 screens globally. So obviously, this number is yet to be updated. Obviously, 2022 is yet to be done and dusted. But we begin to see how we will see that changing trajectory over time one thing particularly to note is that where we're seeing uh, a lot of these screens, obviously, it's concentrated in terms of the revenues. But when we look at where it's concentrated in terms of the screens, it's only around 3.4% of world screens are either 4D IMS or PLF. So uh, again, a very small proportion. In terms of 3D, that remains the largest share of this market. We're looking around 61% of the global screens are 3D. We have another 8,000 screens that are immersive sound screens, such as sort of Dolby Atmos. A lot of those will be packaged into those PLS screens. So again, that's not an incremental figure. A lot of those will be included within that count. So what does this mean going forward? So when we looked at our data for 2021, I think if we look at some of the more recent deals, we'll begin to see how... Uh, some of those trends will be evolving further for 2022 I don't want to go into too much detail here because I think some of the panelists here uh, will probably be able to fill in a few, uh, far more detail than I can but in terms of ice theaters we had um they had some very significant deals uh, this year uh, including PBR in India and exhibitors in Estonia um cgs again uh, very similar deals um, and their first sort of installation in Germany uh, and also for for um IMAX, we had some of those um some of those deals in uh, Southeast Asia so again um we can see how the how the market is continuing to evolve and we're seeing continuing investment in these premium screens and again this is important because of the recovery so if we consider that across these these sort of three years um the global box office has suffered I think it's to the tune around sixty five billion has now been lost over these three years. exhibitors were to take half of that, that's around sort of 32, 33 billion. There's a lot less, a lot less capital uh, available for investment. Um, So a lot of those plans are being put on hold. Um, We're also considering that the screen count has also dipped. I think we're still seeing um, the the net screen growth has also dipped. We're still seeing growth in China. Again, um, in in terms of the other world regions, uh, we're seeing a very small amount of net screen growth. So this does impact premium screens because we would see that potentially the newer screens would have a higher allocation of premium. Um, but again, uh, there is still a lot of investment going on in new screen um, new screen openings, a lot of refurbishments. So uh, that market is still potentially very strong. So what we expect to see is for 2022, but we expect to see the market sort of finishing around 65% of the previous high of 2019. So still some way to go. Uh, towards the recovery or towards a new level of uh, recognised uh, benchmark for cinema going so in terms of some final um some final key reflections here and takeaways so i think we have we are beginning to see or we have seen some sort of more marked shifts in cinema going so uh, this is in terms of of where we've got a much more event driven market so this this is actually where premium screens are in their element because event Titles and event-driven business, where they're gravitating towards the premium screens. At the same time, audiences are becoming more discerning, so they're choosing first uh, the optimal screen, and and again, premium screens are, are the are the, among the first choice for many of these audiences.
2: I don't know really where to start, other than some of those success stories that Charlotte mentioned at the start of this uh, of this podcast. Some of the some of the films that have worked the best under premium large format. And I think that's really a a question for both exhibitors to kick off with. We'll start in alphabetical order here. Mark, over at National Amusements, you guys are present in a multinational level. You've got theaters Mm -hmm. in the US, Latin America, and Europe. When you're marketing premium format opening weekends, Mm -hmm. which have been the
0: ones that have really come through
2: in terms of audiences?
0: Mm-hmm. I think I think this past year, Top Gun: Maverick was, uh, you know, I don't want to say a surprise. I think we all knew and hoped it was going to be a truly experiential film. And nothing against the superhero and Marvel films, which we all love, um, a little bit different, you know, in terms of uh, you know the content. So um, when that film opened, uh, and we operate in the U.S., we operate in Brazil. Argentina, as well as throughout the UK, when that film opened in all of our markets, uh, you know, we really did talk about and promote the fact that it was an experience and unlike anything you could see at home. And and the PLF side of it, whether that's IMAX or our uh, X Plus uh, premium large format, um, you know, it was an experience that you had to see that movie in that in that way with surround sound, giant screen, you know, laser uh, projection and, you know, in our, the case of our X plus in, you know, this amazing, comfortable um, uh, recliner. So, you know, I, and it worked really well. I mean, that film played throughout the month of June, you know, into this, you know, midsummer um, in PLF. Uh, and then, you know, there were some others that that took its place, but then it came back which is also something that's surprising, you know, uh, uh, because that's what our customer were telling was telling us. So um, I think that was such a good case study, you know, in terms of something a little bit different that really played well in PLF. That's the sort of impact that these premium formats
2: can have. It's such a unique experience. Clint, you guys are a national circuit. You guys are diversified uh, across your premium format offerings. What were some of those trends that you were seeing with the titles that worked best for you at Marcus Theaters in 2022 in PLF,
6: um, yeah, and thank you for having me. It, it, uh, one of the things that I want to mention, Daniel, as you just said about about the incredible longevity of Maverick, is Avatar. The original ran that same ran that same model, and in fact, I believe if you go back and look, Avatar never made hundred million dollars in a weekend, and yet it just played forever. Right, so. Maverick did the same. Mark said it so well in that, you know, that was a, that was a real case study. One of the things I find interesting when you talk about PLFs, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy and, and we've experienced tremendous success on the PLF side. Um, It, it really has been even on a day and date release, even when Disney did what they did and, you know, we competed against your at-home streaming, which I understand, you know, I get it. It's been a long three years even when that happened, the PLF is still something that guests sought out. And, and it was something that they sought out with mm-hmm. Avatar and, and it was something they sought out with Maverick. And it's something they, they seek out when that film has a special property that you can't replicate. And I think that Maverick was one of those classics. It, it had, it had the sound that, you know, shook the seat. It, it had the visuals that, that sucked you in it. It, you know, it, it really did when you talk about things like a screen X experience and you talk about things like kind of a wraparound, you just couldn't ask for more. You know, I, I'm not even getting into the Tom Cruise factor, but you couldn't have asked for more. And I think that that, you know, we're coming up on that juggernaut right now with Avatar. And I believe that Avatar is going to, you know, provide us with another opportunity to welcome those guests who may not have come out. You know, Mark just said it, it's the entire experience with the immersive sound and that screen and those seats and what you can provide plus the additional crowd that just makes that thing magic. We, we did well on all of the big pictures, right? And when I talk about self-fulfilling prophecy, I got to be real with you. When, when the studios want to release a film and I think everyone can attest to it, they're also very competitive to be on those screens. So it gets the newest product, it gets the most turnover, it gets it gets that new box office. When there's three different titles competing for opening weekend, there's just certain titles that rise to the occasion of getting your PLFs. Um we we do we do have um our hands in a lot of uh, opportunities. We have a 40X, we have IMAX, we have our our branded super screen and ultra screens. Um and and I think you know it, when you talk about PLF, I don't know where you fit 3D in. I, I'm not that smart, right? Does that does that count? But Avatar has, is, again, is going to push the envelope on what exhibitors need to provide and what guests want to see. The group, the crowd that's coming out today, the numbers speak volumes as to what they're seeking, mm-hmm. what they want to see. And a play down screen is great, but I think you saw in some of those numbers of what the studios are making on that first 14 days of release? Well, let me tell you, most of them, if you're gonna play it on a PLF, they want you on there for 14 days, right? So they push you. We wanna be on your PLFs for the first two weeks. I don't think that those two things aren't related, right? I just think that that's what guests are really seeking out.
2: It's a very difficult balance to strike. You know, it drives people in, but the studios know that too. And the studios are fighting for that screen. You just don't have the real estate to accommodate uh, the numbers, especially when they're successful. And I'm sure the pressure happens when you've got a title that may be underperforming in those screens. Now, you mentioned that immersive experience of a panoramic screen. Uh, our guest from Ice Theaters, Guillaume Tomin de Massour, represents one of the leading panoramic screen manufacturers out there, Ice Theaters. Guillaume, you guys are about to open uh, screens in India through PVR, one of the largest multiplexes in that country. And you've got a great opportunity with Avatar. We're actually going to be working with Ice Theaters to provide a lot of the PLF premiere reactions from around the world, from France to LA to India here on Box Office Pro with Ice Theaters. So we can see some of that excitement, some of that effect of people going to the movies. Guillaume, thanks for joining us. Could you give us some of your uh, recollections of 2022? On what was the financial performance of PLF
1: through ice theaters when it worked the best? It feels it feels really awesome to be back in that in that moment when we do have some blockbusters to to screen in our theaters. Uh, we're coming back from really dark times, and uh, the numbers are here to sustain that our industry is is uh, getting you know back on track and way stronger than it used to be in the past. Um, Our, you know, um, ice theater belongs to CGR Cinema and we are the second biggest operator in France. We have slightly over 700 screens and across those 700 screens, we installed uh, 42 ice theaters. So um, one thing that we could see is uh, between 50 to 70 percent of our box office is coming from our PLF format. We always screen the the movies in premium format or standard to give uh, our audience a choice. Uh, Price is more expensive, of course, but the upcharge is not as prohibitive as flying business class versus economy. It's still something you can afford. Uh, And we realize that most people choose premium format uh, because they have uh, the best image, the best sound, the best seat. That 's something that everybody talks about sound, image quality, uh, immersive Dolby Atmos, laser projector, RGB and all that. but the seat is something that you know most of the common people are really looking with a lot of details and that 's something we need to to put a lot of you know um, work uh, because that 's the first thing that people uh, get to touch when they enter your your theater and then you can immerse themselves with all your technology, whether it's it's the, the, the laser projector or the Dolby Atmos or our immersive panels. We did uh, amazing numbers uh, with both uh, Spider-Man, No Way Home and Top Gun. Of course, we, we crossed about three million euros in France, which for us, it's a, it's a real big milestone. And Mark, I wanted to bring you into that conversation again, because you
2: are looking at marketing your yeah. premium auditoriums not only in the U.S., but have them connect with your audiences in Argentina, Brazil, in the U.K. It's not just the movie alone that you have to market. You have to market a higher ticket price. How do you go about that? What are some tips that you could give us as a marketer to make sure that your audience pays that higher ticket price for this experience?
0: Yeah, I'll I'll give you two examples. I mean, I I think first is sample. You know, we want to get our audiences into you know, PLF to, 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 you know, our X plus to experience it. I I think once they do, um, they probably won't go back. Um, So I think like through loyalty programs, like our, our loyalty programs in our markets, um, it it could be an option to upgrade uh, to get that customer who may not have visited our X plus to visit it and see their next movie um, uh, when it is PLF worthy, Go, go and experience it that way. Um, I think another thing is to really romance um, the the experience. So, for example, in UK, our blue water uh, location, which is uh, southeast of London, uh, we now have two X plus PLFs in that location. It is the number one. It's number one location in the UK. Highly trafficked. So what we're doing there is actually working with Disney to create a, a, an entire experience around Avatar The Way of Water. So as you walk into the location, actually, as you go into the mall, it's, it's, mall, it's a mall partner, um, there's giant projections against the quarry walls that will be promoting the film and the experience. Then you go into the mall, there's a complete takeover there. And then when you go into our theater, in the lobby will be two um, giant statues that were created to, with by Disney um, to celebrate the film. You, you go through that experience and then then as you get to the the PLF the X Plus, there's a complete in you know environment that you walk through. Um, so you know because we are blue water, <laughs> because uh, you know it is it, it is a great location in the UK um, Disney worked really closely with us to sort of help to uh, co-market this, you know? So it really is all about the PLF there. So, you know, you can't do that for every film, but for this one, we've spent months planning. Um, So I think those two things, you know, sample use loyalty, use other programs that you can get that customer into then uh, in in a sense, upgrade to PLF and then two romance.
2: Yeah. It's such an important part of the experience to make sure that Uh, Using that old showbiz term, um, and I know my academic colleagues that are listening to this call are are embarrassed that I can't remember the the exact early exhibitor that came up with this quote, but uh, the show starts on the sidewalk. The show starts before you walk into the auditorium. That's so important. And Guillaume, you've been doing that with ice theaters as well. Uh, When you're doing openings, I'm thinking of your Ocina location just outside of Barcelona near your home in Spain. You've done that promotion ahead of time. Get people excited before they even think about buying a ticket. Make sure you can market this outside of the film itself. Can you go over those examples and maybe what you have in store for opening in India through
1: PBR? <laughs> of course. Um, there are two, for, for us, we've identified two ways of marketing uh this thing one is to address the plf so hey come to this brand new stuff um in your in your area which is you know peripheral vision uh vip recliner seats dolby atmos laser projector so we educate a bit uh, our our client base and also new clients on the format and then of course we use every single movie that we can project in the- we did 28 last year we're gonna cross the 30 this year uh, adding the Bollywood titles from PVR, we're gonna reach. Uh, I, I think we're gonna add 20 minimum titles from Bollywood uh, that we can also distribute in in Saudi Arabia. So for each movie, we we also um, do a lot of effort to market the movie, and for that we have we have also two ways. So there's two things to market: the PLF and the movie, and and of course the two together. Um, but then there, there's also another two ways, which is one it 's to address your existing client base uh, they 're not always aware of what 's releasing in their theater or uh, so so here you can do a lot of um, a lot of push uh, to convince them to come uh, to discover whether this new format or this new format in this new movie, et cetera, et cetera. But what we try to do is as our premium format it, for us it's very innovative it 's very new um, it's something something quite original, we also have to be original marketing-wise um, and try to think, you know, out of in-theatre marketing. Um, one of the major challenges we face today is uh, the youth uh, who are not coming back to theatre, and they spend ages on TikTok, Instagram, and so on. So, for them, the theatrical release is not that much of an event as it was for me, for instance. Because when I when I was, a few years ago, younger, uh, I had no mobile, no Instagram, no, no TikTok. So for me, a release in theater was an event. And now we have to put back a theatrical release uh, and, and make them an event again. And so what we do in our circuit, and th- we have created guidelines for every single partner that worked with us with Ice Theater, we try to address digital marketing through, of course, TikTok, Instagram. We convince influencers, very powerful one in France. We, we did a, a wonderful operation with the best influencers we have in the French territory for Avatar. Two, we also take TV back again. So we address the television network to do advertising. So that's something we did for Sonic, for instance. And that's something that is really, really important because the more awareness you're able to create, the more people will come to your theater.
2: And you mentioned something that I think is super important when we talk about advertising uh, the movie-going experience, earned media. Make sure you go out with a press release to uh, to your local town, to your local newspaper. Invite the local TV station to your theater and let them know that you're playing this. And it's an important cultural thing, especially, well, it might be tougher in major markets, as Mark can tell us, uh, you know, in, in Boston. But in some of the smaller towns, Clint, like Marcus Theaters, these are great opportunities.
6: I have been blessed with a face that's good for radio, but I have been also uh, given the opportunity to do a number of morning shows, as well as afternoon remotes on the news, promoting upcoming titles, promoting film, promoting our big screens, promoting new food options. Um, it's critical. It, it, I, you know, I, I think it, Guillaume just said it so well that 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 ability, because that is not an ad, right? That's part of your newscast. You're not going to fast forward through it. You're not going to move on. You're not going to use the restroom at that time. You're going to be paying attention because it's news. Um, You know, we've done a couple of morning variety shows and they've been so excited about what we give to the audience because it's, again, it's another opportunity for them to brag about their community, brag about their theater, come and meet your neighbors. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty passionate about the business. So I think that, you know, when when you relay that, when you share that, when you own that as a company, you can build that. Um, Wakanda was such a classic example, and it was such a beautiful thing. We had so many groups reach out for the cultural significance of that title. we had We had musical acts in our lobbies. We had dancers, we had presentations. We had corporate sponsors that came in and spoke. Um, we posted school groups. and and again, we've made the news by by, you know, being a community partner and partnering with local organizations. Um, those may not always push your PLFs, but let me tell you, and I think both Mark and Gilman have, have, have said this extremely well, I envy Mark and what they can do with some of their promotions because they're beautiful pieces and they entertain that person from the moment they park until the moment they drive home. Um, but one of the things that we're able to do is we also, then we highlight our ultra screens and our super screens and our IMAX with signage, with, with, uh, recliners in the lobby for people to check out the heated recliners that we have in our ultra screens so they can experience it without having to shell out the money for the ticket. They can walk in and check out the auditorium. We market to those folks that are coming to that 2D experience or to that to that playoff house with what we provide them in the lobby on the signage that we do for 4DX, that we do for IMAX, that we do for our branded screens. So there's a lot of opportunity that we have there. Again, and I think I think these folks do it. We'll promote those ultra screens and super screens across a complex. So at Gurney, where we have the wall, that's a 20 screen complex. We were able to promote the wall as well as the ultra screen, which is amazing there, and their 4DX screen to every guest that walks through the door. It's free media, really. We're promoting our own amenities. So we're kind of trying to help ourselves there.
2: It's interesting to hear that in this multiplex model of 12 to 20 screen complexes, promoting and advertising one or two of your premium concepts of your most innovative ideas can help the entire circuit. It'll help lift the visibility of maybe your screens that don't even have a seat upgrade, right? It's sort of organic marketing for the circuit as a whole. Uh, Having this in mind, I always like to close your conversations by going over mistakes. We all like to celebrate our successes, but it's just as important, especially speaking with colleagues, to share some of the slip-ups and some of the things that we can avoid in this industry. Uh, Let me start with Guillaume, uh, because you're actively right now installing auditoriums around the world. What are some easy mistakes to avoid, Guillaume, when installing a premium large format auditorium?
1: um there there are there are so many problems that you can that you can run into when you're installing a plf and my colleagues mark and clint i'm sure you're well aware of them there are so many so many mistakes that we can do and of course sometimes you do it and uh what makes a great team is to be able to fix it but uh, if if i had to give the two worst one in my opinion uh, number one is, again, I, I insist on that, but it's the seat. Because you cannot charge, you know, 50%, 20%, 100% upcharge uh, to a client and get him to sit in a very standard uh, seat, you know. Those people, they have very comfortable sofa at home, flat TV. Most of them have already, you know, 5.1, 7.1, Adobe Atmos at home. Uh, you need to give them, you know, a, a good treat. And if they pay an upcharge, uh, it has to be. It has to be really there. Like uh, wow, uh, this this is great. I'm gonna have a great time. It's gonna be comfortable. So that that would be the first mistake. It's not because you put Dolby Atmos laser projector and our LED panels on the side that will provide a very immersive experience. That your client will be happy if you get him to sit on a on a wooden chair. Give or take. Number one. Number two. It would be the uh, the staff. Um, nowadays, I I don't think we talk about the. We don't talk about it a lot, but we have to train the staff uh, to welcome the guests, um, to treat them well, to 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 really welcome them into the theater, to give them a you know a, a treat. Uh, and and again, I I love to compare with airplanes and airlines because you arrive in business class, they give you for the one time I did it, they give you a champagne you know glass and 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 very smiley people and so on. So you're here for a treat, right? And I think it's the same with the PLF, you know, it's not enough for exhibitor and we are an exhibitor. So I put ourselves in the, same, in the same thing, but it's not enough to just invest in technology and just invest in marketing. You also have to get that contact back with your theater. The cinema before was, you know, the, where the people used to meet and share a good time. Now it's, it can become something where you go, you buy a ticket online, you watch your movie and you're gone. It has to come back to something much more social. And that's what people want, actually. And that's why they come also. So that that would be the second mistake. It's not enough. Technology is not enough. You also have to put more humanity into it. Mark, on
2: your end, you've been seeing the performance of your premium auditoriums across multiple countries. What's the one thing, the one piece of advice for any exhibitor right now
0: considering going
2: into the space?
0: Um, I, I I think I think it's exactly what everyone's been saying is you know we want we want to, you know, uh, present it exactly, you know, uh, the way it should be. and we want to present that experience the way it should be. So we you know we have to be clear about that. What are you offering? What is the deliverable? what is the reason, you know, why you would spend you know a little bit more on this ticket? So I, I, I think all of that, but when we do, it has to be, The most amazing experience, you know, it is the reason to get off the sofa, not watch Top Gun through streaming. (laughs) Although that's fine, Um, it's not the same experience. So we have to deliver on the promise. I mean, I think that that's the key thing. Um, So, and it is every touch point, like we were all saying, you know, whether it's through the website or through the app, through the purchase, you know, then the experience as entering the theater. And then actually experiencing the film in this format, it we got to deliver on that promise. So all the things we do, whether we talk about it through PR, all the marketing, it has to sort of all line up because we have one shot with that customer. If it's their first time, and we, we want to make sure they come back. So I think it's all of those things. It's a ton of work. But... <laughs> You know, for for we we have to do that. You know, we we are at that point, and we have to make sure if you're buying a ticket to see Avatar, The Way of Water in a PLF with your family, um, that when they leave, they they have a memory that's going to last forever. That that that's what we have to deliver. And
2: that's that's such a good point. And I think it builds on something Guillermo was saying. If you're going to charge a premium on an experience, you have to deliver on the hospitality level. Uh, You can walk away not liking the movie. That's fine. But if you walk away not liking the experience, you'll say, not only did I have a good time, I had to pay extra and it was expensive. That's the big risk when we're talking about premiums. Clint, from your perspective, you're in markets uh, that uh, maybe are being a little bit more hit in terms of inflation, in terms of recession fears. Uh, it's something that uh, former Marcus Theater CEO, Rolando Rodriguez would always say, uh, uh, $18 latte isn't a problem in New York or LA, it's definitely going to be problem in Wisconsin. How are you guys approaching uh, that challenge? And also what's your piece of advice for anyone considering going into the premium space?
6: We're a very unique mix. It's 17 states, we cover the country, but Marcus theaters was built around the eight contiguous right around Wisconsin. And, and, and I think that we are respectful of, of the dollar and Rolando, you know, he, he was very vocal about what we needed to accomplish and it was attendance and we need people to come to the movies. You know, let me get back. I, I, what these guys have said is just so right on it actually, you know, kind of caught me off guard when you talked about the people, cause I was so focused on what we provide in the auditorium. And I want to get to that real quick. I, I feel like, it, and, and I say this with love and respect for Exhibition, 33 years this month with this company, but Exhibition is like herding cats, right? We are, we are, we're vicious competitors, and a lot of times we're best friends. Um, when Mark was talking about his delivery, I don't think he was just talking to his team. He's talking to all of us. Look, everyone's got, and, and a lot, I say everyone, but a lot, of, a lot of companies have their own brands, right? We have an ultra screen. What does an ultra screen mean, right? What does an X plus mean? Hopefully it means to exhibition, it's the premier experience for a guest to go see a film, right? Because a lot of times, and I I again mean this with incredible respect, a lot of times a guest doesn't know if they're in an AMC or a Regal or a Marcus, right? They know they went to see the movie and we play the same film. It's how did we play it? When you go to see Avatar in a Marcus theater, was the light on the screen as good as it can be, were all the speakers popping? Was the volume right? Was the temperature in the auditorium controlled? How did my seat recliner work? There's so many things that go in. Then then take it backwards, go backwards and talk about how was my experience using your app? How was my food order on the app? Did I get it delivered to my seat on time? You know, what was the stand like? And then where Guillaume and Mark just crushed it, how was I greeted? Did someone say hello? Did someone thank me for coming? Did someone tell me to enjoy the show, right? Because you can walk into a Marcus theater. And I, again, love this company. Mark said it. I think y'all might've even said it. You can walk into a Marcus theater with your phone, order off your app and never talk to a human being. There's no need. The app takes care of it. You walk up, you might show it to the door person or someone might scan it. You walk into your auditorium, the food's delivered. Someone hands it to you as a runner because you ordered it all online. And you leave, and you may never have spoken. I don't think that's what the experience should be. And 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 I think some people, if you want to have that experience, you can, but for most people, they want to be served, they want to be appreciated, they want you're spending a premium dollar. You want to be made to feel like it was special. And and I think the biggest mistake we can do is forgetting that. The other thing, and I say this as an industry, one of the other big mistakes we can make don't just slap a PLF moniker on and an extra ticket fee on something that's a standard screen, right? I, it, I worry about that with our industry. When I go to a competitor and I walk into their PLF and I'm like, what made this a PLF? And, and I think that we have, a, we have a responsibility as an industry to really celebrate what we can provide to these guests and we can charge for it. And There's nothing wrong with that. And, and whoever said it was like going from business to economy, I think was brilliant because it really is an affordable upcharge. If you deliver on that upcharge. And, and so my caution for everyone would be to, you know, maintain your standards and really show, I think all of our screens, and, and I don't mean this just as selling our industry. I like our play down screen. It's a 32 foot screen. Who's going to complain about that? I, it's still a recliner and it's a wonderful experience. So there's nothing wrong with that. What makes that PLF special for every one of us across the board? Because that is where IMAX won. IMAX created an experience that was consistent across their brand, and and I think ICE does an amazing job of creating an experience that's similar. Same thing with my X Plus friends. You know what you're going to get. I want Marcus to to, uh, adhere to those rules as well as all the other exhibitors, because if I walk into a Regal and their super screen or their ultra screen is not good, I'm kind of damning the whole industry, right? I'm not
2: I don't know. I would say my Uh, wife. I I totally get it. One bad association with a concept is a bad association for everyone. The consumer is not going to distinguish between your premium auditorium and your competitor's premium auditorium. It's something that a good premium experience goes a long way for everyone. No, I, I, I can see a lot of this sort of gel together. And I think this is a great sort of uh, transition uh, for our parting words for our colleague Charlotte Jones from Omdia, who spoke a little bit about this a second ago during her presentation on forward-looking outlooks for premium large formats. There are still territories that are underscreened. There's a huge opportunity to grow when we see the expansion of PLF and also the slate. There are titles coming out next year. Charlotte, I want to put you on the spot here. We had massive titles this year. What do we have coming up next year for PLF? What's your immediate forecast for 23?
5: 2023 is, is going to be better than 2022. And I think premium and the titles will play a key role in that. Um, I think if we look at the slate, you mentioned the slate. 2023 has some really amazing titles, really big budget titles. Um, I'm a real fan of the sort of all round sort of franchise family orientated titles. So, you know, I'm going for, you know, Indiana Jones, potentially the Ghostbusters sequel, potentially the Transformers. You know, all of these titles will perform strongly across the board, and again, very strongly have a strong affinity with the premium screens. I also want to raise, you know, the fact that there are key genres that work potentially better as well in in those PLFs. so we've got the sci-fi titles again work really well and i think looking forward uh for the future 2023 and beyond we've got a lot of game games adaptions adaptations that will come in and again a very strong affinity for those gamers who again want to invest in that high quality experience so all around i think yeah a very positive outlook
2: And thanks again to our panel and to you, the audience, for listening to us once again this week on the Box Office Podcast. On behalf of Rebecca, Sean, and myself, we want to thank you for all your support. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Record Edit Podcast in collaboration with Box Office Pro and the Box Office Company. Don't forget to rate, like, subscribe. We'll be back next Thursday with another episode. Talk to you soon.